uh, one spring day about 13 years ago, 2004. Uh, I was invited to bring a group of high school football players to Penn State for an elite Nike sports camp. For 10 years of my life, from 14 to uh, 25, really, I, my life was dominated by football. I played in high school, played in college, coached in college, and then coached in high school. And, you know, at, at 24 years old, you think you have all the energy in the world. So I, I brought these kids, um, leaving on a Friday afternoon, drove to, to Penn State, had a full day of, of, of practice, a full day of, of combine. Um, we get back in the car and we start to head back to Washington, D.C. Now, we were all exhausted. Um, my, my son reminded me yesterday, uh, after we, we were, I'm still coaching flag football. It's a riveting season right now. And, um, and I, he wanted to do something tomorrow, yesterday afternoon. I said, buddy, I'm probably going to be pretty tired after coaching. He's like, Dad, the players have it a lot harder than the coaches. This is true, but even when you're not playing, you still get tired. And we jumped back in the car, and we were heading, heading out. Um, and about 20 minutes later, I woke up with the car rumbling as we were driving through the grassy median in, on, on the highway. Uh, the guy next to me, Kevin Wiggins, was 6'7", 320 pounds, and in this calm, cool, collected voice just goes, Coach Keen, you all right? Well, no, I'm not all right. I'm driving in the median. I fell asleep at the wheel. Uh, Kevin's words, although they were calm and collected, they saved my life and everybody else's life that was in the car. I jerked the, the car back to the highway and was finally awake. Uh, at that point, there was no more sleeping for me that day. Uh, beloved, there are many Christian churches who are so busy living life and immersed in our secular culture that they are spiritually sleeping at the wheel. I hope to help you, as Kevin Wiggins helped me on that faithful day, by asking, friend, are you all right? And I hope if you are spiritually sleeping at the wheel this morning, that today that you would wake up and turn to Christ. If you have an outline provided in the bulletin for you, the first point this morning is the spirit of the church. We see the spirit of the church right there, beginning of this letter to Sardis. Now, Sardis was a powerful city. Uh, it was established around 1200 uh, B.C. It was always kind of known as wealthy and strong. It was situated on a cliff which really made it uh, indefense or defensible, right? So it was really hard to, to conquer. Um, sadly, the, the city was actually conquered twice because the, the watchmen on the wall neglected their, their duties. Uh, among the Greeks, uh, it was kind of known when they're saying to do the impossible was capturing Sardis. So if you were called to do the impossible, you're called to capture Sardis. And although this position, like I said, was, was, was powerful, it failed because of the lack of vigilance by the watchmen on the wall. So this once prominent, powerful city um, came to almost a shadow of itself at the time that Jesus spoke this letter. It was living off the prosperities of years ago. So Jesus begins with a rebuke. By saying, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now the seven stars are representative of the seven churches that we are working through over these months. 
We get that from Revelation chapter 1. In the vision of Revelation 1, Jesus is holding these seven stars to show that he is the one who is in charge of them. He is the one who has control and authority of all the churches. Now remember that seven is not just those seven churches in, in Asia. It's really a representative of all churches throughout the ages. But this church, this church needs to be reminded that Jesus is the sovereign one over the affairs of the church of Sardis. The seven spirits of God here is most likely a reference to the Holy Spirit. Thinking back to uh, Revelation chapter 1 and in verse 4, there's this Trinitarian uh, phrase, that he who was and is and was to come, speaking of the Father, and the seven spirits who are before the throne, the, the seven spirits are the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who, who birthed this church and who will sustain this church. Jesus is speaking to the sleeping, almost completely dead church, reminding them it is the Holy Spirit who can wake them up from their slumber. As we move throughout this letter, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to guide and illumine your heart to reveal if there's any area of your life where you're sleeping. I think when we, when we read this letter, it is very natural for us to say, we are not a dead church. It is those churches over there. But beloved, we, do, we are not hearing the word for those churches this morning. We are hearing the word of God for our own hearts and for our own congregation. So we need to apply what the Spirit has for us this morning to our church here at Park. The second heading the sin of the church. The sin of the church. He quickly identifies the sin of this church by saying, I know your works. Now we don't know exactly what those works are, but he knows everything that the church does and is doing, both in thought and in deed. He says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. The church of Sardis was like the city of Sardis. It was once powerful, but now it's living off the fruitfulness of ages past. They had a reputation of being Christians, but their Christianity was in name only. They were nominal Christians, meaning that they identified themselves with the name of Christ, but they were not living for Christ. Jesus is not fooled by their worldly reputation, for he knows their works. Friend, Jesus is not fooled by your outward appearance. He knows your heart. He knows what lies in the corners and crevices of your life. So before we even get to the solution of this sin and what the, the Lord tells us to do and to, to wake us up, first we have to ask ourselves is, where are you sleeping in your faith? In what areas of your life do you need someone to say, friend, are you all right? So friend, are, are you all right with your finances? Are you spending your money for the glory of God? Are you giving your resources to Christ? Are you spending your money with or without a regard for the lost? Where are you, are you generous with yourself or stingy with others? Friend, are you all right with your finances? Friend, are you all right with your entertainment? 
Are you watching TV shows that would make Jesus cringe? Are you spending more time looking at a screen? That's your Bible. Do your entertainment choices reflect your relationship with Christ? Or do they reveal idols of your own heart? Friend, are you all right with your words? Do you use your words to encourage or tear down? Is your humor used to spread the love of Christ and the joy of his people? Or is it to boast in yourself? Are you quick to speak or quick to listen? Do your words reflect a life submitted to Christ? Friend, are you all right? You know, one of the blessings of being part of the family of, of God is that the strengths of the people in this body help show me my weaknesses. And my strength helps show the weaknesses of others. I could probably go through this entire congregation, those of you I know well, and say, this is how you have exposed a weakness in my life. You've exposed blind spots. So without even speaking, when we are in relationship with one another, we are constantly pushing each other to say, friend, are you all right in this area? You know, there's certain families in, our, in the life of our congregation that are so godly in how they handle the culture of our, of our day, how they handle pop culture. And how they handle it helps me confront maybe the idols in my own life. The only way that we can effectively sharpen each other is if we know each other. So can I encourage you to really get to know each other? Really allow people to see your life and allow them to speak into your life and say, Hey, friend, are you all right in this area? Are you all right here? Invite them. Maybe ask your, your spouse, Spouse, where am I not all right? I bet they probably have an answer. But once we identify our sin, then we see the solution. The solution of the church, point three. He gives the, the solution to this sinful sleeping church in five imperatives. Now remember, imperatives are commands, they're not suggestions. They're given to us by the sovereign Savior of our souls, the one who loves us. In Revelation 3, verse 2 and 3, it says, Wake up, imperative 1, and strengthen, imperative 2, what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember, 3, then what you received and heard, keep it and repent, 4 and 5. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know the hour I, what hour I will come against you. Now remember, Sardis fell twice. This, this um, impregnable city fell twice because the watchmen on the wall were not diligent. So now what God is doing, he's using that imagery to this church and saying, Church, be diligent. Be vigilant in your faith. Wake up, is the, is the call here. There's an urgency in our lives. Now, if this morning, when I, um, it was, it was this morning, it was last night, I was kind of drifting in and out of sleep, and I heard a, a fire uh, truck kind of go by. And you know when you hear a fire truck go by, it just kind of, it kind of becomes background noise for a while? Now, what if that siren that was blaring what was not kind of out there on, on two or three streets over, but it was in your driveway. And that was to wake you up that there was a fire in your house and your wife and your children would be in danger of death. It changes the level of urgency there. See, the fire is not in those other churches. The fire is in the church. It's in Sardis here, right? 
And so often, I was talking to a friend this week, he said, you know, I listen to a lot of pastors, and a lot of pastors often talk about other churches, what other churches are doing, the false doctrine of other churches, rather what's happening in our own body. We, we really need to understand where are we sleeping and where is God calling you to wake up? Because if there's areas in your life where you are asleep, it affects the entire body. So church, wake up! Be urgent, right? Live for the Lord. We cannot sleep any longer. And we may do an excellent job at critiquing other churches, but the fire is not out there. It may be in here. After we wake up, number two, imperative, strengthen what remains. To, to strengthen is to stand up on his feet. The picture I have is, is the, the paralyzed man in Mark chapter 2, who is, who is told his sins are forgiven and to rise up, pick up his mat. His feet were strengthened and he walked on. Or Acts chapter 3. The church of Sardis had a reputation of being alive. Now they were doing all right by the world's standards. But we don't live for the world's standards, do we? We don't live for the reputation of, of men, the reputation of even, even other churches. We live for the reputation of God. And what does the, the Bible say here? It says that God was not pleased, that their works were not complete in the sight of God. I think it's both in, in quality, in the, the kind of works they were producing, and quantity in the amount of works that they were doing. If they did not strengthen what they had, Jesus says, even that would be gone. Verse 3 I think has the essential marks of the entire Christian life. Look at verse 3 again. It says, Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. We remember what we have received and heard. We heard the gospel, the good news of Christ, and received salvation. Friend, the first step for you being all right with God is to maybe realize that you are not all right with God. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and because of our sin, we deserve God's wrath. Because God is wrathful against sin and sinners. We, hear me, we deserve to go to hell because of our sin. That should cause us to tremble. The first step towards God is to realize that you are apart from Him, that you are separate from Him. It is only then we realize that we are sinners and we recognize our need for a Savior. God sent Jesus Christ, His Son, to be our substitute. Jesus died for all those who would repent and believe in Him. He died to pay our penalty. Our God, accept, and, and our God the Father accepted the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf and His resurrection from the dead. So now we no longer have to fear death, but we have hope for what's to come. Jesus is now at God's right hand, holding the, the seven stars, the church in his hand, with the spirit of the seven, of the seven spirits, the Holy Spirit. We are sinners, and God sent Jesus to die for us and be raised for us. We never move by that. We never move by the gospel. We Remember what we heard and received. If Jesus died for us, we would do well to remember. The church at Sardis was living on past grace. Friend, the grace of Jesus is an everyday reality. 
Our salvation is not only a one-time reception, but a daily process. We are saved. We are being saved, and we will be saved. We must hold fast to, to Christ as He holds fast to us. We must keep this salvation that we have been given. And every time we realize that we are asleep and, and living for ourselves and drifting into the world, what do we do? We repent. This is what we do every single Sunday. The reason why in the middle of our service we have a confession of sin, because we all sinned this past week. And sometimes we, we, are, we are drifting and we need, we need to be reminded that we are sinners and yet God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through His Son. So whether we are awake or asleep, we will live for Him. That's what we do every single week. I would hate it. I would hate it as a pastor if people who were in sin could not find repentance at church. That they could not come here and hear that sinners are welcomed in Christ. What a sad day that would be. So, if you have come this morning and you have not read your Bible in a, in a month, repent today. If this past week you have lusted in your mind and in your, with your eyes, repent today. If you have been stingy with your resources and withheld things from the Lord, repent today. If you have spoken unkindly to anyone in any way, repent today. Friend, are you all right? Are you all right with God? If you are not all right with God in any area of your life, repent today. That is the Christian life. We repent, and every time we repent, we say that I can't save myself. It is only to the cross. It is only to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that I can be forgiven. Turn from your sins and be saved. And even here it says there are serious dangers if we don't repent, Jesus says he will come like a thief in the night. It will be unexpected and it will be terrible. God will not be mocked. So hear Jesus' words. If you do not repent, the sovereign Lord of lords, the, the King of kings, the one who holds the, the seven stars in his hand with the seven spirits of God, says, I will come against you. That should cause us to shudder if we don't know Christ. If we know Christ, He says, I will come for you. So wherever you are at today, if you're not alright with God, repent. And Christ will move from being against to being for you. Wake up, friend, wake up. Remember the gospel and the grace of Christ and remain in Christ. The fourth heading, the saved of the church, the saved of the church. Now we know that the Bible, set from the scriptures, that the church should be full of saved people. But many are self-deceived. This church had a reputation of life, but they were dead. And even in a spiritually diseased, even dead church, there were those who were in that church that remained faithful. Every true church has true believers. Jesus says, verse 4, that you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now remember, they are not worthy for what they did. They are worthy because of Christ and what Christ has done on their behalf. They 
have remained with Christ. The image of clothing as a representative of the Christian life is kind of a theme woven through uh, the scriptures, from the priestly attire to the temple, in the temple to the robe of the prodigal son, to the to the clothes needed for the wedding banquet and the parable that Jesus offers. Clothing, the proper clothing for the proper occasion is part of that ancient world. So here, one who remains true to the gospel will walk in white with Christ. This is probably a metaphor to to the whole, really, community. And really, the church would have known this because, as I said before, this city was kind of known for losing the, the decisive battles. They should not have lost any, any battles or any war, but they did. But what the, the white here is signifying is that those who are with Christ, those who remain with me, you will walk in white in victory. For the Romans, after they won a battle of victory, the whole city put on white to celebrate that victory and, and process throughout the town. This is what God is saying, is if you remain with me, I will clothe you in white in victory. That's why we, that's why we sing victory in Jesus. That is why the song will never go away, because we want to be reminded that we share in the victory of Christ, the final victory, when he will come and triumph over all his foes. This exhortation continues by promising, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Beloved, we bring soiled, dirty garments to Christ, but he cleanses us and gives us white garments. We who were unholy become pure and blameless with Him. We are no longer identified with our sin, but with our sinless Savior. We were once defiled, but now we are pure. Jesus says He will never blot out our names from the book of life. Our names are in the book. But not, not only that we are given, our names are in the book, that we are given new clothes. We no longer will wear our filthy rags, but the righteous robes of Christ. Now, as a former capital city, Sardis here would have been known for the records of the empire. Two different empires had Sardis as its capital. Um, in that culture, uh, if one committed a serious crime, their names were removed from the book of the town register. So if they committed a capital offense, they were no longer part of the, of the town. In the Old Testament, removal of name really mean, meant capital punishment. And even in the New Testament, a, a removal from the church was a sign that one's name was not written in the book of life. You know, the modern day concept of church membership and being on a church role is often looked at as legalistic and unnecessary. Now, although it may be unnecessary for salvation because we are saved to Christ and through Christ alone, the picture of, of the church role is a helpful practice to remind us that our names are written in a book. They're written in the Lamb's book of life. And if we do not remain with Christ, why should we have any confidence that our names are written in that book? So, historically, the church role, the membership, was all of us saying collectively, we believe that we are all Christians. We believe that we are all saved. It is clear throughout Scripture, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2, there was a clearly defined number of the body of Christ. 
Brother, we should keep accurate records. So if we believe someone's name is not in God's book, we should warn them. We do not want them to come before God or have God come like a thief in the night and have them stand before Him and God say, I am against you. The church membership role is not arbitrary. The church membership role is all of us, leaders and people, saying we have confidence that you are a believer in Christ. That when you close your eyes in death in this world, you will open them in glory. So what happens if someone is in our midst, part of our membership, and ceases to live for the glory of Christ? What do we do? Well, typically, what do Baptist churches do? Nothing. We let people walk in danger. God would say, wake up. Wake up, strengthen what you have. Remember what you have heard and what you have received. Keep it and repent. I pray that our church would help people see, help people warn others if their garments are soiled so that they would come to Christ and be robed in white. Last point. The supper of the church. The supper of the church. The last promise that God gives here in Sardis is that the church, is that he will confess our names before his Father and his angels. We know that Jesus is the final authority, the final arbiter of our salvation. When we stand before God in judgment, surrounded by his mighty messengers, our only hope is Jesus confessing our names, that, that this Man and this woman are forgiven. They're redeemed. Jesus said in his own earthly ministry, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So how do we acknowledge Jesus before men? Now, although as I've, I've shared throughout this sermon, we acknowledge Jesus with our whole entire lives. But God gives us two specific ways as a body of Christ that we acknowledge Him. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, baptism is us going public with our faith, that we believe in the name of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And yet, every time we come to the Lord's Supper, we proclaim our trust in the name of Jesus Christ. We, we trust in Christ crucified and risen again. Jesus said every time we take the Lord's Supper, we do it in what? In remembrance of Him. It's exactly what verse 3 says, doesn't it? Remember. Remember what you have heard. Remember what you have received. When we come to the Lord's table, we remember what God has done for us in Christ. That we have been clean, cleansed. It's a visual reminder every time you see us, see it to wake up from your slumber. The Apostle Paul says in his letter to the church at Corinth, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and of the cup. Beloved, what I have been trying to do for the last 25 minutes is to get you to examine yourselves. To ask you, are you alright? We should not come to this table if we are not trusting in Christ. The table is for sinners. Amen. 
but it's for a certain kind of sinners. Repentant sinners. If you are a baptized believer and a member of good standing of a church of like faith and order, you are welcome to the table. But if you know that you are spiritually asleep and you are not trusting in Christ, let the bread and the cup pass. Now, if you are a Christian and you know that you love Christ and you have been living as one who's been asleep, I pray that you would see the bread and the cup, that you would see this table as an invitation from the Lord God Himself to come and repent. Leave behind your sin and come to the Savior. Come to the table, confess the name of Christ, proclaim His death until He comes. And I hope that every time you approach this table, you are reminded of the oneness that we have with Christ and the oneness we have with one another. Uh, today is an especially important day because this marks the first official gathering of Fellowship Baptist Church and Park Baptist Church as one body. When we come together today as the Lord's table, what we're saying is that we are one in Christ. We are one body. One of the things that I want to implement before we take the Lord's Supper as a way of examining our own hearts and as a way to recommit our, ourselves to each other is to think about our church covenant. Well, we have covenant together to live as the body of Christ. So here in a few moments, what I'm going to ask you to do is I want you to, I'm going to ask you to stand and we are going to recite our church covenant together. And when we recite it, I pray that we would be resolved and even encouraged to continue to live for the Lord, that we would be true to these promises that we are saying to one another. And if you are a guest with us, you are welcome to, um, to partake, but we want, you to, we want to invite you to see our commitment towards each other, and that you would find either our church or a church of the same spirit we can carry out the, the spirit of these commands. So at this time, please stand.